The Institute of Directors professional development programmes equip learners with the knowledge, skills and mindset to be enterprising and innovative, enabling organisations to become more productive and competitive. The IOD's programmes ensure directors develop an awareness of their interpersonal skills, legal and business knowledge, financial acumen, ethical questioning, decision-making abilities and the highest standards of professional conduct. The IOD is the only institute in the world to offer internationally recognised qualifications designed by directors for directors under Royal Charter. For more information on IOD training, visit iod.com today. Welcome to the first of the Institute of Directors Scotland Business Podcast, a podcast where you'll get to know the personalities behind Scottish business. In this podcast, we take the opportunity to speak with directors from all over Scotland about their careers and their businesses. I am your host, Marlene Lowe, Director for Four Bytes Limited, longtime IOD member and ambassador in Tayside. In today's episode, I would like to introduce you to Malcolm Cannon. He's the Director of Scotland at the Institute of Directors and has been since September of 2019. Malcolm shares his knowledge of working in six different market sectors and having held CEO positions in five different companies. He's an ambitious and experienced leader and I look forward to sharing his story with you all today. I was brought up for the first four years in Africa, in Sierra Leone. My father mm-hmm. is an engineer and was working in, uh, in Africa for 16 years, latterly in Sierra Leone, but prior to that in four other countries. Um, came back at the age of four, went to school in London, and then on to St. Andrews University. Um, chose Scotland because my father and my grandmother on that side are Scottish. That's mm-hmm. absolutely through the blood and the heart. Um, even though sadly the accent is from London. Um, (laughs) So at university did science and wanted to use it. So moved into the pharmaceutical industry. Um, My degree was in physiology and pharmacology. So went into the pharmaceutical industry for 10 years and thoroughly enjoyed it. Predominantly in sales and marketing, but was involved in international asthma treatment, working with the World Health Organization on the new childhood guidelines, which was a terrific learning curve for me and a great honor to be part of those back in the 80s, late 80s, early 90s. Um, industry and moved into the drinks industry for 10 years, obviously just a very different drug, um, <laughs> but even more enjoyable. And I think the drinks industry (laughs) should be known as the fun industry because with a few exceptions where it is abused around the world and causes problems, Mm. predominantly alcohol is used to celebrate, Um, whether it is a wedding, whether it's a party, whether it's a a birth or a a Christmas. Um, Mm. Alcohol is the fun industry. But it also in Scotland with the Scotch whiskey industry requires a phenomenally highly qualified and experienced set of individuals, particularly in finance. And that's not my background. I was surrounded by great financial brains. The, uh, the concept of, of just enough or just in time doesn't work for Scotch whiskey. 
Um, yeah. Companies would predominantly want uh, minimal stock and maximum turnaround. Um, obviously, yeah. in Scotch whiskey, some companies, and particularly I worked for Edrington Group, which is famous grouse, McAllen, Highland Park, they sit on 10 years worth of stock. Now, that mm. means that you need a phenomenally talented finance group to do reconciliations every month on the value of that stock, which goes up and down uh, according to how much the angel takes and how much um, how much uh, increase in value the aged stock gets as, as time goes on. So 10 years in the drinks industry, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, I was then fortunate enough, uh, after a year working in the legal industry um, in marketing, to, to be offered a job with Hunter Welly Boots, which is a, an iconic Scottish brand. Obviously, if you're not from the UK, you probably don't know what Welly Boots are, but they're rubber <laughs> boots. And uh, it was, the, the green hunters were known, um, particularly throughout the UK, as they were used by people who walked dogs, uh, mucked out horses, and mm -hmm. hunted, shot, and fished. Yeah, they're very iconic. Iconic and historic and a particular type of customer set. Yeah. However, that customer set was dying, uh, literally and figuratively. So we needed to move it into the younger set. And Uggs at that stage were the uniform, really, for teenage girls in particular, for cold weather. Mm. And so we set out to try to change the Hunter Welly into the the UG for wet weather, if you like. And I think we achieved it. We put it onto the high street. We moved it from function to fashion. Um, it came off, mm. it didn't come off the feet of farmers, but it became less important and much yeah. more onto festival goers and as a fashion icon in New York. So rather than mm. wearing trainers down the street in wet days, um, business people, but in particular uh, business women were wearing hunter wellies on their feet. And it was a, yeah. it was, a great journey, great, uh, exciting um, opportunity and experience for me to be in the fashion industry for two years. Mm -hmm. Then moved into property um, for six years uh, with a company called ESPC, which is the Edinburgh uh, Solicitors Property Centre, which is basically mm, 10,000 properties a year we sell. Um, so it's by far and away the biggest estate agent in the world, um, which was again a great experience working with 170 law firms working across scotland with the the scottish solicitors property center as chair of that for two years um and and a great grounding for working with professionals um mm. in terms of of solicitors um and then my dream role in many ways was in sport that's been my passion throughout and i was <laughs> i was fortunate enough to land the job in charge of a Scottish governing body for the sport of cricket, not particularly my sport then, but it is now. Yeah. And uh, again, a, a huge learning curve, but but such a great opportunity to uh, for exposure with professional sports people who are a law unto themselves, um, but also working with um, children and participation levels all the way down to the to the enthusiast and all the way up to the top professional world-class players that mm. we have in the Scottish team. Um, we managed to beat England, who were the number one ranked side in the world. <laughs> um, probably the best sporting occasion of my life. And, <laughs> and I think um, it, it, it gave me a, a, another 
fantastic four years. But the IOD role came up. And I think it's worth just saying what this what this concept meant to me, which was yeah. a number of, of people, by definition directors, members of the IOD are by definition directors, they are by definition ambitious, and they want to improve themselves. And that's a yeah. group of people who you can't fail to be but be inspired by. So to work alongside a group of people like that is inspirational and motivational in itself. Um, there is so much creativity, so much innovation in Scotland, but also the UK over. Um, and the IOD brings those brains together and mm. they influence each other, but they also influence policy on governmental, at a governmental level. So we can use that creativity, experience, um, and, and ability to influence policymaking by both Westminster and Scottish governments. And I think that's really important. It means that their opinions are heard and they are landed with policymakers. Um, But it also means they get to share their ideas with each other and learn from each other. Because I think the one great thing about IOD members is they want to improve themselves all the time. They do that Mm. by not only structured training, but also by absorbing information from just their engagements with each other. So yeah. to be in charge of, of IOD in Scotland and to be part of the management team for the IOD during a huge period of change um, mm. has been uh, a terrific honour as well. So a great privilege. So what was the deciding factor for you to move from your passion of sports and cricket into the IOD? Because you, you could say that they're quite disparate um, industries and roles. So what was it that made you take that leap? Yeah, um, sometimes I ask myself. <laughs> but I, think, I think what inspires me is a challenge. And change management is probably something I've big be- I hate being pigeonholed, but probably some people would call me a change agent. Um, yeah. When you go into an organization which is slightly dysfunctional or completely broken, depending on the organization, in the early days, the changes you can affect give a major reward both mm-hmm. both um, not financially but physically but also mentally they give you a, a feeling of having achieved something um, mm. those low-hanging fruit that you can that, that are obvious to you you make the changes you feel the benefits and and it gives you a pat on the back yeah. after a while it's diminishing returns so the changes become smaller and smaller um, you achieve what you set out to and after that it's there are minimal changes. And I think once you reach that, it's sort of business as usual. I'm not saying it's boring, but it becomes less rewarding. And yeah. I've felt that over the last four or five roles, I suppose, that once once you've done the major things, um, you want to move on to something else, which is very challenging. And I think in the IOD, I saw an opportunity for a, a major change in the way that the IOD was structured and the way that the IOD mm-hmm operated and i think during this first year we have managed to put many of those concepts into into being um, some of them are waiting in the wings to be released and they will be released in the next couple of months and i think people will mm. automatically see an invigorated energized cohesive iod as opposed mm. to a slightly fragmented one and i think those okay. those changes large 
they are large and they're going to be very visible. And I think those will be the ones that give people a, a feeling that actually you're making a difference. So being this facilitator of change, is that something that's, that, that can be tracked throughout your whole career? Or where did that passion for change originate? Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I think it's, it was sort of forced upon me. Um, the, the, role, the role at Hunter, um, Hunter had gone into administration. And I think that's a, mm -hmm. a sad reflection on, on a combination of things. I'm not going to, I would never criticize decisions made by management or boards because no one makes a bad decision on purpose. But I think yeah. there were some decisions which retrospectively were strange. As a okay. result, uh, by, by over diversification, by over investment, it ended up um, putting the company into a into receivership. And I think that's, um, that's, uh, it, it leaves you with a huge challenge. And Mm -hmm. You have to accept those challenges. So you are, you are effectively handed a broken organization. It's dysfunctional. It is financially non-viable. You have no cash. Managing cash, mm -hmm. um, and as any, any accountant listening to this will, will agree, cash is king. If you can't yeah. manage your cash, you're going to struggle. Um, yeah. Once you're in administration, no one's going to give you terms. So in, the, in order to keep the lights on, you have to sell something. That is actually, it's a mm -hmm. hand-to-mouth existence. And you need to put these changes in place very quickly in order to stabilize the organization and to grow because you need good foundations. So it was sort of forced upon me, but because we managed it in a reasonably, and I say we, because I've been so fortunate to, to be surrounded by amazing people. Um, everything mm -hmm. has been a team effort, whether it's at Hunter at ESPC, um, whether it's at Braymore or at Sports Scotland. Um, and again, now with, with, uh, with the IOD, we've got a fantastic team. So I hope I never use I, um, because it really isn't. <laughs> and mm. what we did, we, we achieved those, those rapid changes that were necessary, and it gives you that buzz. It gives you that mm. energy to go on and make additional changes. It's, it's risk, but it's managed yeah. risk. And, and I was very lucky as well. Um, there were, back in in 2000 and uh, can't remember the years 2007 was the worst summer on record in the UK well for someone selling welly boots it's the best summer on record <laughs> exactly so barbecue barbecue sales went through the floor but welly boot sales went through the roof um, likewise we we launched in in New York I went over and set up a, an office out there the same month um, the film The Queen came out and in The Queen um, which is a, yeah, it's a great movie, but the, mm. the character who plays um, Lady Di, Charles and the Queen all wear Hunter Wellies. Um, Excellent. <laughs> good fortune. But you also yeah. have to make your own luck and make the most out of that good fortune as well. So mm. at Glastonbury Festival, um, we had no money, um, so we couldn't advertise, but we had a lot of boots. So we gave boots away to 36 celebrities and 26 pairs were photographed in Hello and OK magazine. So again, you make the most out of your luck. Um, and so a combination of good luck and, and just uh, happenstance meant, meant that I've, I've been forced to change things. And I suppose it is quite, it's quite energizing. You make a change, it works. Mm. You make some changes and they don't work. And that's fine, you learn by that. 
but I think uh, I can't remember who who was it. Nelson Mandela. I think I never I never lose. I either win or I learn. Yeah, it's a terrific quote. It is definitely. So I want to take you back to your time in Sierra Leone. <laughs> Do you remember a lot of it? I remember very little of it. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure when they say you develop your first memories. There are a couple of things I remember. Um, we lived mm. we lived 13 miles from Freetown, which is the capital, in a village uh, very imaginatively called Mile 13, <laughs> uh, and there was a a beach and a and a beach club, um, a small drive away. And my mother used to drive myself. Uh, and my sister, my brother was born there, but not till just before we left, um, down to the beach club. And it was a long straight road and there were trees hanging over either side and monkeys used to leap from side to side. Now, a combination of things. Firstly, there has been no photographs or cine film of this, so it can't possibly be that. But secondly, when you're young and in a car, all you can see is up. You can't see out, so it must be a memory. So that is my earliest memory of monkeys jumping from tree to tree across the road. (laughs) But I don't really remember very much. My dad was working on a big dam there, and he occasionally Mm -hmm. took us up and we would sit on the diggers. Um, I've got photographs, but I'll be honest, I don't remember it. Yeah. So do you think that your time living abroad and or, or those memories, the fact that you've lived in Africa, do you think any of that has impacted how you see the world and how your life continued later on? I think so. My, my father continued to work overseas quite a lot and we would go out for holidays um, wherever he was. So mm. um, he, was in, he was in Cyprus for two years. He was in Syria for three years um, and we went to see him in Syria and in Lebanon in the 70s, um, which for a 15-year-old lad was quite an eye-opener. Um, obviously, having seen Syria and what an amazing country it is, I probably didn't appreciate it quite as much as I should at 15, but I appreciated mm. it and have loads of photographs of the beautiful uh, historic sites at Homs and Hammer and uh, Aleppo and Palmyra. They've all mm. now been destroyed. So I think what it has done is it's made me aware of the unbelievable um, diversity within this world. And and it has made me very keen to travel. So I was was trying to keep up with how old I was in years with the number of countries I'd visited. So at 45, I had visited 45 countries. Sadly, I've slowed down markedly since then. So I think I've only done countries in the last 13 years. But... But it's, it has given me a bit of wanderlust, but in particular, it's given me a, an appreciation of the diversity here. And uh, yeah. I mean, my, my father, who's, who used to have the, one of the thick passports because he was away so much, and he had two passports mm. because of certain places in the 70s where you couldn't visit um, and then visit somewhere else on the same passport. So yeah, I don't think he was a spy, but I think he, uh, <laughs> he enjoyed the <laughs> That's what you'd be telling your kids. Your granddad was a spy. (laughs) (laughs) So with your current role, you speak a lot with government and discuss policy and things. Um, Did you have that experience with any of the jobs previously? Was this something very new to you? A little bit. Um, At ESPC, I think um, as, as, 
you're very hooked in to consumer confidence levels when you're working in the property field because depending on consumer confidence and and it's not only consumer confidence in terms of of um, pay but of the economy so you're quite attuned mm -hmm. so you're heavily involved in cross-party groups on on property on residential mm -hmm. housing um so i was involved way back when and and that's quite an interesting one speaking with msps on their thoughts about both um residential property sales but also on residential property letting so yeah i was involved at that stage and in the changes on law with the lettings law in scotland um so that was that was one part and then when you move into sport um there is a heavy engagement with scottish government with with regard to sport mm -hmm. and uh, leisure okay. because of the impact on the health of the nation now obviously before covid19 the major health issues within scotland were um based on poverty um, yeah. and and lack of exercise so i mean i think glasgow is still one of the worst uh, places in in the world for heart disease coronary heart disease obesity and uh, poor diet um sport and leisure sport and activity does impact heavily on that so the more we can encourage both youngsters and adults to partake in some kind of exercise the better so we were quite heavily involved in uh in lobbying and discussion groups and cross-party groups with uh, sport as well. So it wasn't completely new, but obviously representing business groups is a step up. Um, there is there is heavy involvement and engagement at, uh, at government level. And during COVID-19, we've had daily meetings at eight o'clock, uh, both to do with COVID and obviously to do with Brexit, which is, which is hanging over us still. It, it's not something that's top of mind anymore because you've had to deal with a global pandemic, which takes precedence. Um, so it'll be interesting now to see what happens when we're needing to deal with the after effects of both. Because now we can no longer say what the effects of Brexit had on the, like just Brexit itself would have had on the environment or, or the communities around us. It's a much bigger picture now. You're absolutely right. And, and that, those two will conflate the statistics so no one can ever really say with uh, with entire confidence what the impacts mm. were of either one well certainly of, of yeah. brexit because the hangover will still be covid19 yeah so looking at your career and all the different industries that you've worked in is there a commonality besides the change aspect is there a commonality of of what your passion was in each of the different industries i think being part of a team um, I was growing up, I, I, as I said, sports been my passion. Sport was my life for many years. I, I worked and I worked hard, but in order to afford to play sport, um, yeah. whether that were, I, I did athletics very seriously as a youngster, um, to the age of 21, I went back at 40 as a master and I thoroughly enjoyed it. But my main sport has been rugby. I managed to play 45 seasons. I love the sport. I love my teammates. I've played for a lot of clubs. I've captained three clubs. Um, wow. It is being part of that team, and in particular rugby, where mm. there are no hiding places on the pitch. You, yeah. <laughs> you can't manage a game of rugby and not be involved. And I yeah. think that's, um, 
that's such a it's such a great lesson for youngsters but also for oldies who continue playing it because i think you realize just how reliant you are on your teammates and that mm. that translates into work um you can't yeah. do things on your own and you don't have all the answers so it's far better five minds are better than one 15 minds mm. are definitely better than one so um combine that skill, that passion, that energy, that knowledge base and come out with a better answer. And I think that's been the commonality is the working with a great team and working for great brands. I have been so fortunate mm. to work for great brands. And I think that's probably the, the common theme throughout. Yeah. So would you see yourself as a facilitator? I think so. I hope so. It's, it's always yeah. it's always difficult to ask the individual. You probably have to ask those around them. Um, <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> I would, I would that people would say I was a consultative manager or leader, yeah. um, because I do feel very very strongly. I, a very quick story. I went for um, I went to try to get into the army between school and university. In uh, there is a there is a system whereby the army allows. Um, un not undergraduates, people leaving school to take the regular commissions board and to become an officer in the army, go through Sandhurst on a very accelerated course um, on the basis that you then stay as an ambassador for the army and probably join the army after you leave university. I tried to get mm -hmm. that and I, I, inevitably I failed because otherwise I would have mentioned it. But, yeah. <laughs> the process, but the process was a huge learn and one particular part of it is you are you do what's called this regular commissions board and during it it's four days selection process very tough and you're up against the best people in the country um which was in itself quite a, uh, a humbling experience but one of the the uh, tutors on it said on one of these exercises where you're trying to get your your little group of of fellows across a a make a make-believe canyon with a piece of string and a piece of wood and a 10 bob note or whatever he said mm. ultimately i'll put you in charge you will have to make the decisions and they will fall on your shoulders but before you make those decisions tap into the knowledge of the rest of the group because the likelihood is mm. whatever decision you ultimately you make the call but yeah. use their experience and that will bring it together and i think that's yeah. that has stayed with me um ultimately I have to make the decision, but mm -hmm. it will be based on everyone's groupthink. And I think that's, yeah. that's it's, it's served me well to date, fingers crossed. As I say, I hope, it's very, I hope other people would say the same, but you never know. <laughs> yeah. It's very valuable insight to be given at such a young age. Yeah. Um, and has, well, judging by your career, it served you really well knowing, having that knowledge. Is there anything now that you wish someone had told you then as well? Not really, because I've picked it up as I've gone along. I mean, we're going to get on to why you join the IOD and, and what you can learn from it. I think it's really important to, to have knowledge about what it means to be a director, not only mm -hmm. the uh, fiduciary responsibilities, but also the the accountability that let rests on your shoulders. This is not merely a, an enhanced committee member role. This is yeah. true responsibility and accountability. I think if someone had, had 
made me aware that actually when you get to a job of a at a level where there is no there is no one level with you whether that's yeah. chief exec or managing director or or chair it's a very lonely position there is no one mm-hmm. you can whinge to share problems yeah. with um scream with yeah. <laughs> the only way to do it is to tap into a group like the iod share those challenges that angst that anger because you can't do it within your own organization because everyone looks to you and they look to you as if you know it all um, and that's not the case you have exactly the same challenges and and angst and worries as everyone else they're probably multiplied because other people have given you theirs as well um, so i think that's the only thing that i i would advise people now is those that have a an angling or a, a, an ambition to become a chief exec or a managing director or whatever, just to be aware that it's quite a lonely existence. Um, mm. You don't have those those compatriots that you can uh, share a beer with. You can still go out for a beer, but... Yeah, it's not the same though. It's not on the same level when people are looking to you for guidance. You can't really show your flaws Weaknesses. Exactly. in the same way. There's nothing wrong with having those flaws, but to... No. But you probably have to keep them bottled up a little bit. Yeah, it's a bit of a stiff upper lip <laughs> attitude, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and do you think that one thing that's been quite fascinating to me is um, the corporate world has always had a certain image. Um, and now with um, with COVID and people working from home, I mean, obviously, we're sitting like this, we can see into each other's homes, and it's a different insight into the people that you're working with. You, you get a, a different view of them. Um, and I'm realizing my question is a bit leading now, but do you think that will change the way business is done going forward? Because we've started seeing those insights into people's personalities? I hope so. I truly yeah. hope so. I hope that this pandemic has some positives. Um, mm-hmm. because otherwise at the moment, economically, health-wise, losing loved ones, uh, mental health, it's had pretty much nothing but negatives. But I think there yeah. are positives that can be brought out of it. And, and in particular, people have used technology to hook up with people with whom they've had very little uh, interaction for some time. Families have yeah. said that. Um, friends, different groups. It, it's a bit of novelty, but I think it's continuing. But the main part is from a from a work perspective, again, there is no hiding place. You can't mm. uh, sit at your desk and never meet anyone in the corridor or at the, at the water cooler, as they yeah. say in America. You're yeah. now forced onto a screen. And mm. as you say, with few exceptions, we do tend to see into people's homes. We, set, we tend to see uh, kids coming into the background, the, the cat jumping onto the, the desk. <laughs> Um, hearing hearing what's outside, seeing outside people's windows. I think it has mm. allowed folk to get a closer understanding in the soft skills of management and of, uh, of being a colleague. And I hope that doesn't disappear because I think yeah. a lot of this is here to stay. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to be working from my home forevermore. Yeah. If I could work <laughs> from my home as a hybrid with occasionally meeting people, there's not, mm. there's not a lot wrong with it. We don't want to go back to completely the old ways, wasting time yeah. on public transport, wasting um, hours uh, sitting on motorways. 
then mm. I think let's let's embrace the things that we've learned and the things that we we feel are positives um, and lose the bits of the negative, which are the isolation of being on your own for 154 days, which it is today. You might have yeah. to cut that bit out because that'll be wrong. <laughs> I, think, um, I think absolutely. I hope it does. I hope this this ability. We we need to work on the soft skills of management, um, that mm. understanding, the emotional intelligence, and perhaps these type of calls enables a little bit of that. It also loses a bit because yeah. you can't see the body language. Um, you can't yeah. see the fidgeting. You can't see the uh, the angst of someone digging a, a fingernail into their finger. But yeah. But likewise, if it's just work, you never know what where they live, what their outlook is, what their stresses are. Yeah. Yeah. So before we move on to reasons for people to join the IOD, um, what is one hope that you have for Scottish business, say in the next few years? Closer collaboration between businesses. And I think mm -hmm. we've seen that start through COVID that, that people have realized they're stronger together. And that might be yeah. a combination of things. It's unlikely to, to mean that competitors will now jump into bed together, but it's yeah. possible that sectors will get together and represent each other in a strong way with regard to policy. So collaboration yeah. is really important. Innovation is vital. And what this has shown is that if you are quick on your feet and can change your product spec, your technological answer, if you can move from physical to virtual overnight um, by mm. fleet of foot, thinking and decision making then you can tap into a massive market very quickly and yeah. examples of those are a combination so um drinks industry one that i know reasonably well moving from producing alcohol where they were effectively closed down overnight uh, of exports um mm. moving to producing alcoholic hand gel for sanitizers yeah and keeping the distilleries working and pumping out uh, alcohol which didn't go into cask and sat down for whiskey but went straight into bottles of gel yeah um, the second one is training businesses who have done face-to-face -face training and this includes the iod face-to-face -face mm. training for 100 years plus um, producing new content which is uh, able to be delivered online through things like zoom teams uh, yeah skype whatever um, doing that overnight, training the trainers and suddenly becoming a virtual training company. Yeah. Now they've got two products in their, in their store. They've got the face-to-face, -face, mm. which will come back one day and they've got the virtual, which, which can be worked where you're doing remote training and suddenly you become an international company. So yeah, I think that's that very true. and creativity added to collaboration, I think that's really important. I think the final bit is people have realized um, that their staff don't need to be packed into like sardines onto onto trains and into offices in the center of expensive towns. So tell us now about the IOD. Okay, so the IOD, I mean, for anyone listening to this um, who doesn't know what it is, it's a 120 year old uh, business organization. Um, it is founded by Royal Charter 
Mm -hmm. uh, essentially to improve the governance in businesses throughout the UK and in fact throughout the world now. Um, mm. It is by definition made up of members who are directors and they're individuals, not companies. We don't have corporate membership. So why yeah. would you join? There are three basic legs to the stool that IOD sits on. Uh, um, connect, develop and influence. So connect is what I mentioned earlier on, which is trying to bring uh, great minds, great leaders together in one room, virtually or otherwise, to discuss common tre uh, current trends, but also good practice um, and share innovations and creativity. Mm -hmm. um, it's a network in, that in those terms, and people might say, well, there's loads of networks, and actually LinkedIn is quite a good network, but this does yeah. <laughs> way more than LinkedIn could ever do. And it it is... Um, exclusive, but in a, in a nice way. These are leaders yeah. from all three types, the private, public, and third sector that come together with those different mindsets, but a similarity in as much as they all have directorial responsibility. Yeah. The develop is that joy that most members want to self-improve. So this is mm -hmm. how do you develop as an individual? You can pick up those nuggets from networking and discussions but a more formal and structured training means that through a continuous uh, professional development concept of CPD, you can be taught world-class training through the IOD training uh, modules mm -hmm. and actually achieve accreditation. So either um, mm. certificate of, uh, of IOD or chartered director status ultimately, which would yeah. put you into a very, very exclusive group um, and it, it is recognized globally as the top um, business qualification in, in governance. Um, yeah. But there are also lots of bite-sized chunks. And I think those are worthwhile considering as well, because you come out inspired, reassured, or enlightened on something you didn't know about. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. Yeah. And the final one is influence. And this is the ability for your opinions, thoughts, ideas, um, feedback, to actually land with those who are making policy. Mm. So this is to influence policymakers, both in Westminster and in Scotland, and further afield occasionally through uh, our work with on Brexit with Brussels. But mm -hmm. um, this enables an individual who perhaps doesn't have a route into Parliament to make their, their opinion heard. They can use the yeah. IOD as a platform to get that opinion in front of um, opinion formers and hopefully get that uh, considered as they develop policy. So yeah. those are the three stools. Um, there's obviously other benefits, but this is the main one. It is rubbing shoulders mm -hmm. with people who are utterly inspirational. And yeah. we have a, an annual conference and we have an annual director of the year awards, which I don't know when this is going out, but it's either just happened or it just happened, <laughs> which is, some of the most talented leaders in Scotland are being nominated for awards and being recognized for the work they've done um, yeah. in their chosen field. Lastly, what does IOD Scotland specifically do for Scotland? So within the IOD, um, it's broken down into, into local areas, which are called branches. And we have eight of them in Scotland and those branches offer um, a a local unit 
where people can people should have closeness geographically and mentally so mm -hmm. similar challenges they will have if they're in glasgow um uh, but slightly different from those if you're in inverness and the highlands and islands so those yeah. those branches offer a um a specific meeting unit which encourages mm -hmm. that um that local thought process and it encourages that opinion forming into local government so iod yeah. scotland can as, a, as an umbrella organization offer all those benefits of iod uk which is as we're part of the same um concept the same royal charter organization but on a local basis the the local iod branch is a an active member organization where there are events there are meetings there are behind the scenes meet the experts um Mm. And then the more social ones like the lunches and the cheese and wines and the uh, Christmas drinks. It's, it's, yeah. a, it's, it's another route to, to meet with like-minded people coming back to the bit about never feeling isolated. Yeah. And given a chance for directors to talk about their problems with other directors that have the same issues Definitely. and sh share knowledge. I think that's one thing I found very valuable is sharing of knowledge between people um, and it really goes to show how small Scotland can be with business when you realize that the people you're talking to can connect you to someone else you need to talk to pretty, pretty quick. It's also, I mean, this yeah. sounds, if you've got a problem and you feel worried, it's almost um, reassuring to find out that someone else has got the same problem. That yeah. sounds horrid, <laughs> but it is. If you feel that you've got a problem and you're the only person suffering from it in the world, a business problem. Yeah. Um, that can be very, very demoralizing. Um, yeah. But to, it's reassuring to find out you're not alone, that actually yeah. this is a frequent problem. Many people have, have had it before, and there are probably some solutions out there, and let's chat about them. So I yeah. totally agree. It's, um, it's that support network as well.